Latter-day Contemplation is a podcast hosted by two Latter-day Saints who have found great value in experiencing God through walking a path of contemplation. The views expressed herein are our own. Hello and welcome to Latter-day Contemplation. We are your hosts, Christopher Hurtado and Riley Risto. Latter-day Contemplation started as an exploration of contemplative practices from many traditions to enhance our discipleship of Jesus Christ. We're by no means experts in the topics we discuss, but what we have is an openness to questions, a hunger to discover truth wherever we can find it, and a desire to share in the transformative life of inner peace. We love that you've joined us, and we hope that you find value in this community. Well, welcome back, Christopher. It's uh, episode 10 now. We just came off the uh, soft handoff from Latter-day Contemplation with Riley Risto and Shiloh Logan, and now we're our own thing, and it's it's you and me, brother. All right. So today we've kind of uh, come up with the idea to talk a little bit about the differences between exoteric and esoteric, uh, home-centered versus church-centered, and the differences that we're seeing there. And so to open this up, you have a reference from Stephen Covey that I thought was really interesting that I think I think will get us going in the right direction for this discussion and where we want to go with it. And you don't have to necessarily directly quote it, but uh, tell us a little bit about what you read from Stephen Covey back in the 80s on this topic. Yeah, so there's a book by Stephen Covey. It's written in the mid-80s. I want to say 84, The Divine Center. And in that book, uh, Covey mentions that the idea of the of of the church being more home centered church supported of the of the workings of the church being more home centered church supported is mentioned in that book as old news in the mid eighties so for anyone who thinks this is something new that came about last year interestingly before the global pandemic it's not it's not new and it wasn't new in in eighty four when Covey wrote the Divine Center, or whenever he wrote it in the mid '80s, it was already something that that was uh, a direction that the church had been heading in long enough for Covey to mention it as old news. So it's been a process of adoption to get us to the point where we can largely, as a church, start to incorporate this as our practice. And maybe there was people all along who have been doing it, quote unquote, the right way. But nevertheless, it's it's a way that is. It's more in line with what we talk about on this show quite frequently, where you explore your relationship and and commune with God as an individual practice rather than as a church practice. The church points the way, so to speak, right, towards the inner work of communion with God. Right, and provides the covenant path, the exoteric aspect of living the gospel, following a law holding to the word, the, the rod of, uh, of iron, which is the word of God. That's the exoteric aspect, and it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Right? There's the esoteric path that we follow that's inner work that we're here to talk about. Okay, so let's let's draw out this idea just a little bit about, uh, about this exoteric versus esoteric. So you, you, said, you mentioned the, the rod of iron, and the iron rod is the word of God, right? So that's kind of the law. Right. And then what does the path represent? The path is is a is walking in faith, right? The whole idea of a path is is to walk it. You can't just stand there and hold to the rod. You're not moving. It's like I I've got the rod. I'm holding on. 
you can see a Pharisee holding on tight to that rod. But if he's not walking the path, which is a path of faith, with, a, with an inner intention of nearness to God, then the iron rod's not going to be sufficient. It's necessary, again, but it's not sufficient. Right. So if we're to take and go back to Lehi's dream, since this is kind of the route we're on right now, Lehi is standing by the tree of life and he sees his family a ways off, right? And there, so that's kind of like this line segment. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And uh, whether this represents reality as a parable or not is beyond the point. But for this specific point is that his family's over there, he's here, in between is this path, and there's a, a rod of iron that runs along this path. Yeah. And so to go from beginning to end, there has to be some kind of progress or movement, right? Right, and they have to walk the path. Right? Yeah. And they have to hold to the rod to walk the path. So you have both the exoteric, the, the rod, the law, and you have the esoteric, which is the actual walking of the path, which we know is done in faith because you're talking about walking in darkness toward the light in faith. Yeah, so there's along the way, there's this mist of darkness, for instance, and there's you know thick clouds and whatnot, and ways that you can get distracted, whether it's the appealing, uh, the allure of the great and spacious building or, or whatnot. There's ways that you can get distracted, and so that, that law kind of keeps you um, locked in a little bit, but it, it doesn't move your legs for you. Yeah, it keeps you focused, right? There's mm-hmm. The covenant path means, I know I'm not there yet. There's one more covenant to make. And by the way, when you reach the highest covenant, you are now to endure to the end. You're not at the end. The end is eternal life. That's where Lehi is standing at the tree, where the fruit of the tree, which is eternal life, which is Christ, something that we gain through Christ. Going back to the the garden uh, motif, Christ is the fruit of the tree. He hangs, as it were, on the tree. And we actually, in sacrament, we symbolically eat of that fruit, right? That is Christ. Yeah, and that's that's a good example of a discussion point that we can have on this exoteric versus esoteric. Eating a piece of bread as a symbol that points to something else. Right. The bread itself and, and the partaking of the bread is known as an ordinance. But what does that point to? Yeah, the bread is a, is a symbol. But what's the referent? The referent is Christ, eternal life the fruit of the tree. It's partaking of, of the divine nature, partaking of the fruit of the tree, the fruit of eternal life, the Christ-like nature. And there's all these things we do in the church that are ordinances that are kind of outward and, and to an ordinance or ordinal point, it, right, it points you directionally towards something else. And what we mean by exoteric, of course, is outward. The exoteric is the outward. The esoteric is the inward. So there's the outward covenant path or covenant, uh, what is it? The the covenant path that Mm -hmm. that consists of the ordinances. And then there's the the inner work of walking that path, which if, if it's inner, again, it's not outer. It's not that we see you hitting the way stations, right? 
going through the, you know, walking the covenant path could be looked at if we're if we're not really thinking about the esoteric, the inner work, it could be looked at as I I made it to this ordinance, I made it to this ordinance, right? And you you're hitting these waypoints, but the question is where are you inside? Are you actually drawing closer to Christ? The covenant path has these ordinances that again like the sacrament which is one of them which is a, a, a symbol of the end goal of the of the whole path which is repeated through sacrament every sunday in church it's there but it's what do we where are we inside are we actually drawing closer to god or are we just going through the mm-hmm. motions yeah we don't want this to be uh viewed as some sort of checklist or or a ladder that you climb step by step and each step gets you that much closer to heaven. It's not like that as much, right? Right. So that might be how the exoteric is framed. It is. But the esoteric is on a different dimension. And again, it's necessary. The the exoteric is necessary, but it's it's not sufficient. We can't take the symbol for the referent itself. Right? It's not it's not eating bread that we want. It's tasting eternal life. It's, it's the presence of God. That's what we're after. So something else that Covey said that I thought was interesting is that the church is scaffolding. Explain what that might mean. Right. So Covey, in the same book, The Divine Center, he's dealing with the, the, the divine center being, of course, Christ. Our lives should be centered on Christ. That, again, is the end goal. The end goal, we know to succeed in achieving any goal, we have to keep it in mind. It has to be the the central purpose. And since this is our life's pursuit, that's the central purpose of our life and should be the center of our lives and all that we do. And so in making that point, Covey brings out in, in contradistinction so that we understand by the opposites, what are the possible false centers? And among them, one of them is the church. You can see someone who I'm going to go to all the meetings. I'm going to go to extra meetings. I'm going to, I don't know, shovel the, the snow on the sidewalk. And who's actually, who could be potentially neglecting his own family and his own, his own relationship with God. That's possible, right? I mean, again, you have, we have Pharisees. That's what, that's what, the, that's the point of the Pharisees. That's what they do. So if, and again, if you have other potential false centers would be, well, even even spouse, even spouse-centeredness, Covey mentions as a false center. The idea that if you're married and you make the spouse, your spouse, the center of your life, and she does the same or he does the same, well, now you have different centers. You don't actually share a center. So the idea of a covenant marriage, of a temple marriage, is a shared center in Christ. It's a three-way covenant, and Christ is at the center. And now each spouse is covenanting not only with the other, but directly with Christ or through Christ with God and share and the, the couple share that center in Christ. So because church is one of the false centers, Covey makes that clear. He says he wants us to understand that the scaffolding, that the church, excuse me, is scaffolding for the family. The family is the center of church activity. Now it's not the center of the gospel. The center of the gospel is Christ, but the the what the work that the church does is really work that the family does and the church is really a support for that and then the work the family does is to center everyone on Christ yes yes exactly and you mentioned the temple and and one of the ways that this whole uh being 
being centered upon Christ within the family or covenantal relationship in the marriage is that your hands span across a central altar and they join in the middle specifically in a certain way that references Christ. Right. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. Another symbol, right? But what's the reference? We have to distinguish between the symbol and the reference because if we don't distinguish between the symbol and the referent, if we make the referent the symbol, excuse me, if we make the symbol the referent, that's what that's what's meant by idolatry. Yeah, that's just going through the motions without any kind of change of heart, mighty change of heart. Yeah, but beyond that, what I'm saying is that idolatry is anything that that is intended to be a symbol, or by the way, it can be something that's not a symbol because you can make you can make football an idol and that has nothing to do with reference anything. Right. It has nothing to do with God. But, but if there is something, if there is some symbol that references God and we take that symbol for the referent, then we've made that symbol an idol because it's supposed to point to God. And so if we get too hung up on the symbols themselves to the point that we make them our focus rather than, seeing them as pointing to the actual focus, which is God, then we're in idolatry. And this is something that the temple does a really good job of teaching, because as we understand it, everyone that goes into the temple understands it's full of symbolism. And it's not symbolism for symbolism's sake. You're supposed to divine something out of that. So each symbol given, whether it's a clasp or a word or a, you know, whatever it is, Every symbol given refers to something else, and it's kind of up to us to figure out what the referent is and make something out of that. Right, and by the way, it occurs to me, and now that you put it that way, if a word or a clasp would be held in common with another tradition, let's say, so it has been pointed out that some of the some of the uh, symbols that are present in the temple are present in uh, masonry, in, free, in Freemasonry. Uh, so what? The question is, what's the referent? Right? The symbol is just a pointer to the referent. And so our focus should be on the referent that the symbol is pointing to and not on the symbol itself. The symbol could, just like, just like the language we use, the symbol could be any arbitrary, it really could be any arbitrary um, sign, right? It could be any arbitrary. If I say yes, well, we've decided that that means I assent, right? But say yes over and over again. Yes, 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 yes. It just becomes this meaningless sound. And we can do the same thing. We can make the same mistake with symbols that point to God. And they, be- they can become meaningless in the same way. So let's take some of the, the more basic um, responsibilities within the, the church itself, which again, exoteric scaffolding to support what goes on in the home and try to draw something out of those to give people an idea of what we're talking about. So for instance, take something like tithing. Tithing is a law that you pay a percentage of your increase year over year. What does that have to do with being centered on Christ? Good question. But it's something that we all ought to contemplate, right? As it, re- as it relates to every single law or ordinance or whatnot that we perform within the church, what is the referent? 
what are we trying to glean from going through these these motions, these ordinances? The word of wisdom, the law of health. Generally, it's a good thing. What are we pointing to? What is the performance of these things pointing to? If we're talking about tithing, you're talking about giving back a percentage of all that God has given you. This is putting us in a place of humility, of recognition, of the fact that we owe, that we owe our very existence and, and all our sustenance to God, because that existence is, cannot be maintained without that sustenance, and that sustenance comes from God. And because the church is there also to, to give us, well, again, if it's scaffolding, it's providing support, right? And that support requires certain structures that, are going, that in this world are going to cost money, right? Unless they're being donated in kind, we're now donating in, and, and we have had in the history of our church, I believe, the idea of paying tithing in kind, in kind right? It doesn't have to be in kind. We live in a society today in which, in many ways, it makes more sense to pay cash. In fact, wow, we don't even now write a check, right? Uh, all the banking happens electronically, and now tithing can be paid in the same way. But the fact is, in the end, this money goes to provide that scaffolding, Right, to provide that support for the family in pointing the family back to God. That's tithing. You mentioned also, what, what else did you mention? Um, well, I, I just brought up some of the big outer um, observances that are used by people inside and outside the church, church to kind of judge us or to uh, set us apart as being you know, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So the other one that's very recognizable is the Word of Wisdom. Right, the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is important because it gives us not only health, which of course, again, when it comes to sustaining life, look, I've got a race to run. And what I mean by that is I've got this path to walk. I don't know about you, Riley, but I think it's going to take me a while. And so I'm hoping that I can go the distance. And part of that is going to be, and and I'm talking about, I want to do it in this life. Can I progress beyond this life? I believe so. But I came here. I'm in this life to do the work that can be done in this life. And I'd like to have as much time as possible to do it, especially me, because I really need that time. Just ask my wife. And so health and think, I'm I'm so grateful too for her, by the way, for, for all that she's taught me about how to how to preserve my health through her understanding of the word of wisdom, right? Because again, you have this, you can take the word of wisdom as this outer shell, right? This, there's this law and you can follow the word of the law and miss the spirit of it. That's possible, right? With any law, you can follow the, the, the letter of the law and miss the spirit of it and then miss the benefits, right? If I don't understand that law correctly and I don't follow it correctly, I may not I may not receive the benefit. And the benefit that I'm looking for for myself is the health and the longevity that comes from that to be able to walk, to run and not be weary. Uh, maybe maybe I'll be running along the path. I'll probably need to do some running to catch up, Riley. But beyond that, the wisdom, we call it the word of wisdom for a reason, right? One of the blessings promised is wisdom that I'll gain through obedience to that law. And by the way, I don't know how deeply we want to go into the metaphysics of this, but 
I personally have had the experience of what I something I don't know what else to call but brain fog that was a result of it was a result of diet and it's especially a problem today in a world in which as the word of wisdom points to there are conspiracies I'm talking about this is part of the wording of the word of wisdom right I'm talking about conspiracies when it comes to food production and distribution and I was able to heal myself of those problems through eating the right foods. And that's, again, thanks to my wife. And, of course, uh, I'd like to mention also my my dear sister-in-law, Patty. The, between my between Patty and my wife and, and all, the, all they've taught me, it's changed my health radically and dramatically and such that I can now think more clearly. I can now relate although i still have a long way to go in in, in relating with uh, with other people and with members of my family and in my relationship my personal relationships i've come a long way i hope my wife recognizes that i think i've come a long way the exercise of a law has branched out into so much more for you now i mean where some yeah. people will check the box that i don't drink coffee alcohol uh, i don't smoke, I don't, whatever, where some people kind of take that that as the word of wisdom, you've looked beyond that and said, okay, well, what's the reference point? What's, what's this word of wisdom pointing to? And how do I get there via word of wisdom or via tithing, you know, or via baptism? Like what, how do I get to the reference point by utilizing the ordinances, practices, laws, whatnot, that are the structure of the church? I like the way that I, I like the way you put that. Yeah, it's it's how do I take advantage of this ordinance? Not just go through it and check off the the box, right? But how do I really make the most out of this? How do I really dig in and get and you know get everything I can out of this? How do I really squeeze that orange such that so I, I think get, part of the way to get there is to really see the end. Yeah. And, and maybe that's part of the purpose behind Lehi and the Tree of Life vision and all that is to give us a vision for what is at the end. Yeah. You know, for, for me too, um, I know that and yet I forget it, right? We, we have to be reminded constantly. And that's why the scriptures are so important. And that's why the covenant path is so important because it offers us, they offer us reminders. The, the Book of Mormon says, remember so many times. Remember and perish not is the message of the Book of Mormon overall. I'm an Islamicist, meaning that's not the same thing as an Islamist. I'm an Islamicist, meaning I study Islam uh, as a scholar. And of course, this means learning Arabic. And the Arabic word for uh, human being is actually the active participle forgetter. It's literally forgetter. That's the word for human being. The, the human being is the one who forgets, and uh, the, the Muslims call their scriptures, you know, the Quran, a reminder, a dhikr, which is a reminder. And the Book of Mormon works the same way. We understand scriptures in the same way. We need a reminder because we're forgetters. We're human. We're only human. We forget. I need that reminder. And the same goes with the, with the sacrament. Every Sunday, I'm reminded I have to check in with myself. Am I face? Am I am I repenting? Meaning, am I facing in the right direction? 
Am I turning toward God and am I, and am I, am I seeing him correctly and seeing myself correctly in relationship with him? And that's really the point of all of these symbols and, and rules and laws that we have. And we sometimes get lost in the minutia of keeping them to the exclusion of understanding them. And so um, I wanted to pick out, I want to pick out a couple more of these symbols and just kind of keep teasing this out a little bit so people can understand our thought process here. So um, Old Testament, you, you mentioned to me that in that book, The Divine Center by Covey, that even even God can, or this was at least something, a symbol you, or a, a teaching you drew out of it was that even God can become an idol. And what you, what you understand by that is that our image of God can become an idol. And in the Old Testament, there's this part where Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and his people are below and there's this burning bush. So is the burning bush God? No, no, the... Yeah, the burning bush isn't God. The burning bush is pointing to God. Or even reverse pointing almost. It's like drawing, drawing our focus towards the bush so that we can really dial in with what the message is that's coming from God via this symbol of God. Drawing our attention. I read, a, or I was listening to a, Jordan Peterson podcast where he talked about the human brain and how it's been it's been studied about how much information it can process in a given amount of time and it's somewhere in the neighborhood of six bits per second well if you if you just look around around you there I mean there's billions of bits of information at any given moment and all of your senses might be individually engaged in something, but you can't process all of it individually and put it together into one cohesive whole. You, you can really only focus on just one thing at a time. It's six bits a second. And so this burning bush is sort of a way to say, okay, put aside everything else. I want you to focus on me and this message right here. Yeah, it gives you a direction in which to look. And by the way, Riley, if we turn this around, we have in the in the scriptures... Uh, in the Book of Mormon, and again, it occurs to me that uh, that it's also the case in in the Quran that you have the the idea over and over that nature provides signs of God, right? That nature itself points to the Creator, and so while we may not be able to take in everything all at once, and it's nice to have a burning bush to focus on once in a while, all of nature is always present to us and is always and is always the presence of god god is present in his creation always it always surrounds us but do we notice it and so the symbols point us to that they show us they 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 are as an as a finger indicating look or as the burning bush look you mentioned in our last episode that you had uh, given some time to centering prayer. And I think it's uh, a nice topic to kind of involve in this conversation because centering prayer is all about bringing us back to our center. And how, how do you go about doing that? Well, how did you go about doing that? You were reading Thomas Keating, weren't you? I was. Yeah, I was reading Thomas Keating 
on human nature, I think it was. It's a short little book. It's actually a, a speech, uh, a speech or two that that he gave that were put into book form and a little, a little pamphlet, I guess you could say. And my understanding of of centering prayer, which is the my understand. Let me put it this way: my understanding of centering prayer is that centering prayer is the Christian version of, say, Buddhist meditation. In meditating or in praying in a centering prayer fashion, what we're looking for is an experience, not a symbol, the referent itself, right? Uh, an experience of the referent, be it momentarily, within ourselves. Because as Jesus put it, the kingdom of God is within you. And so I, I think that, you know, to put it, to point out a difference, I think the difference is if I believe the kingdom of God is within me, and as a Latter-day Saint, if I believe that I am a God and that I'm made in the image of God, and and by the way, it's it's perhaps controversial to say that I am a God. My wife especially doesn't like it when I say that. But what do I mean? Well, God said not you will be a God. He said, you are gods. You just don't recognize it. So metaphysically, who and what I am is, I am a God. I am a child of a God, and therefore I am a God. Epistemologically, I may not realize that. And the point of centering prayer and the point of the esoteric path that we walk, that we're here to talk about, is to have an experience of that. Because by the way, when, when I say that, that's theology, right? I'm just talking theology. It's only an experience of that that has me really know that. And then I can talk about that. But I'm I'm a slave to a, lang- to a language that is not, it's not adequate or sufficient to actually express the experience that I have in glimpses of, you know, of, of moments of stillness. And so the, what does the practice consist in? Well, first of all, get still, get quiet. If you, and by the way, earlier I was playing around with, you know, saying yes over and over again. If language isn't sufficient to, you know, isn't the referent, but just a sign that points to it, you can actually use the language. Do do the, do the what I did earlier and saying yes, yes, yes over and over, or take whatever the sign is, whatever the symbol is, and you say those, you say a word over and over enough, and it just becomes nonsense. And, and that now you can maybe turn that language instead of having it get in the way by trying to exp- uh, experience something through language that can that cannot be experienced through language, it can actually be helpful to you. You can use it to short circuit its, itself, right? You can, you can use it against itself. Uh, turn that yes into nonsensical sounds, and now you get yourself out of the, this sort of rational discursive um, thought pattern that that uses language into a place where you can actually experience the presence of God within you. And I've seen various demonstrations of centering prayer where language is used, sometimes as a mantra, sometimes as a cue. Uh, also, sounds are used occasionally as an entry point into stillness or centering. And uh, so, I mean, people can look this up themselves and, you know, look at various demonstrations of this on YouTube, but basically all of these things are meant to point 
you into or, or get you into another frame of mind maybe right. or state of being so that you can have that experience with the divine within. Right, yeah. If you, if you think about Buddhist uh, monks, right? In a Buddhist monastery, there's going to be a bell. When the bell sounds, it's a reminder to stop, right? To take a pause, to stop, to to be present to your breath, right? To return to your breath, which the idea of returning to your breath really is to return to your center, right? To the spirit, the breath and the spirit, they come from the same root in language. Here we are again in language, right? We're pointing to God breathed life into Adam, right? His spirit, he breathed the spirit into Adam. It's Ruach. what, it's what man, it's what animates us, right? So it's to return to that place, right? It's, it's a reminder to return to that place. And of course, a Buddhist monk, especially a monk, uh, even if you're a Buddhist at home washing dishes, whether you're a Buddhist at home washing dishes or, or a Latter-day Saint at home washing dishes for that matter, or a Buddhist in a monastery, the idea is of contemplative prayer is to expand the circle of our prayer life outside of this experience of I'm just going to uh, stop what I'm doing now to pray to all of life becomes walking that path that that path that we're talking about that leads to God and that can give us experience of at least glimpses of the presence of God in any activity. So I can wash the dishes and be present to that while washing the dishes. And as a matter of fact, I personally find it helpful to do things like washing the dishes, ironing, sweeping. To me, those are meditative experiences, just like taking a walk, especially a walk in nature, where again, I have all those signs to remind me of the creator, the creation itself to remind me of the creator. The creation points to the creator. It's not the same as being indoors where I'm surrounded by man-made, by the man-made, right? Yeah, so then you're kind of expanding, as you said, the circle of your prayer life beyond just being on your knees with your arms crossed, eyes closed, head bowed. Right. All of a sudden, we have a prayer in our heart at all times. Exactly. And, I, you know, it's always been... I think difficult for people to approach that idea that I can just be praying at all times. And, and yeah. I mean, I think even for a contemplative, it is difficult Yeah, for everyone. Yeah, sure. That's difficult. Let's look at this esoteric. Yeah. Let's look at this esoteric es exoteric distinction again. I it's, it may be easy for me to fool myself into thinking that I'm, you know, I'm keeping, I'm staying close to God in prayer if I make it my goal to expand my prayer life in the way that we're talking about doing it, right? Because at least if I'm getting down on my knees, if I'm holding to the rod, you see, if I'm getting down on my knees and I'm folding my arms and I'm closing my eyes and I'm bowing my head, I know I'm praying. Then again, am I, right? Can I go through all those motions without the sincerity and intent of heart that would make that prayer valid? Because as the scriptures tell us, if I don't have a, that intent, then the prayer, it's not just that the prayer doesn't count, it actually counts against me. But again, it can be useful, it can be helpful to take that attitude and posture of prayer to put me into a place to remind me that I should have that intent. But it's not necessary, it's not the only way that I can do it. I can do it through, I can do it while I'm washing the dishes, I can do it while I'm sweeping the floor, I can do it while I'm ironing. And again, sometimes for me, that's actually really helpful. So can we get to a point where I have this understanding about what all the symbols refer to? And so I, I no longer need to um, 
deal with these symbols? Great question. This is the question of uh, of uh, antinomianism. What's called antinomianism, right? Nomos meaning the law, antinomianism meaning I don't need the law anymore. I am always praying. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to bow, uh, you know, kneel before God. I don't have to go through all these symbols. I think this is a mistake. I think you need both the esoteric and the exoteric. Explain why you think that is. Well, so, okay, let me, let me take a crack at it and, and we'll just discuss a little bit. So I think there's a lot of people who take the symbol for the referent, like we've been talking about before. I think there's a lot of people who, for, for them, going through the motions and checking the boxes is the thing that matters. Right. And then there's a whole group of other people, on the, maybe on the opposite side of this spectrum, who are like, ah, the symbol's just not... It, it means nothing to me. I don't even care. I'm, I'm all about sincerity and authenticity. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just going straight to the source. Um, and this might be manifest in, in different ways for different people, but for some, it might be something like, I don't have to worry about baptism. For instance, I'm already a child of God. I have the, uh, the capacity or the capability to bring myself back in communion with God. Uh, I don't need someone to throw me under water and tell me I can do it now. Or, you know, what's the point of keeping the word of wisdom? I mean, there's people who say that having a glass of wine a day is healthy or, um, you know, it's just not that big a deal. This, This natural herb that God put on the earth is... It's created by God. What harm can it do me? You know, and I, I think I personally sympathize sort of with both sides. Okay. And I hate to be just a fence sitter on this, but I think when you go whole hog on the in on the law, that it's so easy for that to become your habit. It becomes an idol. Yeah. Wait, when you say habit, that there's nothing wrong with habit. Yeah, I, you're right. Uh, maybe that's the wrong word. But it can become um, an idol. Yeah, it can become the whole thing. Right. When you ta- you're taking the the referent for the, the symbol for the referent, right? That is what the, that's all there is to it is just doing those things, and there's nothing more beyond that. Right. So because there's nothing beyond that, those who go all in on the symbols tend to try to tease out the minute differences between full compliance and not quite compliant. This is where we go pharisaical. Yes. And and so then, you know, they, they take something like, I don't know, the word of wisdom is a good example in this case because there's so much there in the do's and don'ts of, of uh, that section of scripture that, you know, someone going all the way with that can make that everything. They can become a full-on hobbyist on word of wisdom. Um, and of course, that's not enough for that kind of person, that, that personality to just do that with word of wisdom. Of course, they're going to do that with everything. They're going to do that with their language, their thoughts, their actions in every realm of their life. Tease that to the minutest um, degree and to the point where they are living that pharisaical life. Although there have been an R, I think, gospel, gospel hobby hobbyists. And I know that because we've been warned by the prophets against 
gospel hobbies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that uh, that's less the type of person I'm talking to. I'm not talking right. about professional scouters or professional word wisdomers or whatever you want to talk about. I, I'm I'm just referring to that type of personality that is always trying to push what the law, almost like building that hedge around the law that the that the Jews did in the time of Christ with the Mishnah and you know and before that, where they were trying to be so observant of the law that they were actually taking the law and expanding it so that there was no chance of them transgressing the law. If the law said, you can't take 500 steps, well, heck, I'm not going to take 250, just to be careful. Yeah, I see this more uh, of something learned than, you know, when you say personality, I, I, I don't know that this is, although although I, I personally, you know, I'm a recovering addict, I have an addictive personality, and oftentimes when we're addicts, we tend to trade addictions. And that's and that's a coping strategy. And maybe it's better to be addicted to stamp collecting than drugs, you know, mm-hmm. for example. But um, but it's still an addiction. And so yeah, there can be I, there, there certainly can be personalities, addictive personalities that might make the gospel checklist um, their addiction. Let's say. Yeah, and instead of a fifteen point checklist, they make it a hundred point checklist. Right, and and of course, addiction is a little bit different than. Um, than habituation, right? Because there's there's usually some kind of chemical component, but playing fast and loose with the terms, you can see how that can be possible. And then there's also just a way of thinking about it. Maybe we're just looking at it the wrong way. Maybe it's it's not my personality. It's not an addiction. I just have been thinking about it the wrong way. And there's another way to, to look at it. So is there a middle way or a third way to look at these extremes of uh, hyper obedience to this law to the point where you're expanding upon the law and really trying to make it everything to the nth degree, and the opposite side, which is the antinomianism you talked about, where you know the law doesn't matter at all. It's all about this this connection or communion with God, and I can get there directly. I'm, and so where's the, where's that third way? Yeah, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, right? Um... Where, where religion is what binds us right, to God and to each other. Because again, part of the function of the church that's so important is to, is to give us support, meaning to, to support each other mutually. Right? A church is a gathering. The, the word that church comes from, ecclesia, which is easier to see in Spanish where it's iglesia than it is with church. I don't know the etymology of church. But the word iglesia, which means church in Spanish, comes from the Greek ecclesia, which means gathering. It's a gathering of saints. It's not a, it's not a building or an institution. It's the body of Christ. And that body that's supposed to be sacred, that's supposed to be uh, a temple, the, the scripture that, that refers to the body as a temple in the New Testament, is actually, the body that's being mentioned is actually plural. It's not one person's body it's not your body riley that's a temple it's the body of the the church right the body of the the saints the body of the followers of christ that is the temple it's that sacred space that we enter into together and we support each other in that space and we support each other in remaining in that space so personally the reason why i want to find that center way is because i don't want to spend all my life obsessing about whether I'm keeping everything to the nth degree in terms of an obedience meter, 
but I also know that those are those are symbols that point me to the referent. They are right. They are there to remind me and help me to remember what the point of it all is and have a consistent practice or a habit. Maybe that's a better place to put the habit. Right. And you don't, you also don't want to go antinomian, right? You don't want to, because one answer to your question, Riley, is why do I need the exoteric? Well, because as clever as I may think I am, God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And so obedience, when, when I may not have all the facts or I may not have an understanding of the facts, is important. It's going to be important to me to follow the covenant path. And and then there's the question of authority. There's the question of, um, of what the priesthood is and does, which is something I think that we don't really understand. Uh, what is the priesthood and what does it do? Sure, we can say it's the, the power to act in God's name. It's the power by which God acts. What is that? Do I have a handle on that? Or do I just have words? Do I have that? Do I have this dictionary definition? And that's something that in my in my own spiritual practice that I try to understand. And I think for me especially personally, you know, to get to a place where I can even be receptive to that, where I can even possibly understand that, I need that covenant path. I need those, that, that, what we call the scaffolding, right? Not just the church as a scaffolding, but the, the law as a scaffolding to keep me on track, to point me in the right way. But again, it's pointing me. And that's, I think the main point that we, that we want to make with this podcast is that the symbol is not the referent. The symbol points to the referent. Yeah, and so, so for me personally, to the extent that I understand the symbol and what it's pointing to, it's less important for me to be as observant of the symbol than as it is to be observant of the reference, what it's refer- referring to, the reference. Because I, I don't want to get my whole life, I don't want my whole life to be caught up in thinking, did I do that right? Did I do that right? Did I do that right? When all of that stuff is secondary to the point of it what it's pointing to. And so if there's a if there is a value of importance to be put upon each one of those, my my own compass personally shades towards the esoteric. Right, but there's a difference between I don't want to get caught up in worrying about did I cross my Ts or dot my Is correctly and I'm not going to worry about doing it at all. Right? I don't hear you sure. saying I don't hear you no, saying no, you're no. not going to worry about doing it at all. But certainly, if if your intent is true, and that that's what counts, right? That's again, even even performing the exoteric action, going through the motions of prayer. Again, the scriptures tell us it it not only doesn't even count for us; it actually counts against us if we don't have the intent. So, if we have that intent, and Jesus looks on our heart for that intent, and by the way, it's hard for us to judge each other. We can't. I say it's hard. It's impossible. It's impossible for us. Well, it's easy for us to judge, but it's impossible for us to judge correctly. Right? We cannot see into each other's hearts in, in, the, in the same way that God can. We get glimpses sometimes, the same way we get glimpses of God, if we're open and receptive and in the right spirit and our intention is pure, we, we do get glimpses. But if we're being judgmental, 
we're not getting a glimpse. Not while we're being judgmental. That's just not going to happen. So we have to be open to and tolerant of others walking the path in their own way. Does that make sense? It it does to me, and I I love it. I, I think that in practice, we don't necessarily operate according to that. Right. Um, and and I, I mean that not just on an individual, maybe church member level, but perhaps administratively, because there are there are the checklists. And that's, again, the church is the exoteric, and that's kind of what it focuses on. And so when we talk about um, someone attending church who isn't doing all those things, they kind of become a target for, hey, let's let's do some service for that guy or let's send the missionaries to that guy or, you know, so on and so forth focusing again on whether he's checking the boxes properly. And that's what the church does, and that's all the church can do. Because unless, now of course here's where where real priesthood power can make a difference, but we're, we're all imperfect, um, including our, our leaders, right? None of us are perfect. Um, none of the prophets in the Book of Mormon were perfect. I, I, I remind my kids, you know, of the of the statement at the beginning of the Book of Mormon by its editor that tells me about the imperfections in the book and that I should not look at the look askance at the book for its imperfections, for they're the imperfections of men. And the same goes for the church, right? I'm not going to look askance at the church for the imperfections of the men, meaning people, right, human beings who make up uh the who, who actually perform the actions that the church is intended to perform. So they're going to look at, are you, well, let's put it this way. Are you being antinomian, right? Are, have you, are, are you, or, or another way to put it, look at, looking at it the other way around, are you actually, does it look like you're actually following the outward practices? Now, of course they want to know, are you actually, once we get you on that path, right? Any, Anyone who actually cares for us, whether it doesn't have to be an ecclesiastical leader, any one of our brothers and sisters in the gospel, of course wants to know that we're actually, that we're doing more than just the outward practice, but it starts with the outward practice. Again, that's putting us in a, it's almost like, it's like it's putting us in a groove, right? That's, we call it a path, right? It's a covenant path. You have that path that goes, that the rod goes along. The rod is the word of God. That's the law, right? And the path is, is what we walk. And the, the point of that path is to point us again back to Christ. And I think to the extent that it does that can be very helpful. Yeah. And then to the extent that people, again, take the symbol as the end all be all, it can be very damaging. It can be. It can be for ourselves. It can be for our relationship with others. So if we're if we're doing that in a in a way that we're judging others, that can be hurtful to the other. It can be hurtful to the relationship. If we're doing it to ourselves, it can be also hurtful to ourselves. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's so. So important. I think this is what I, this has been the point from the beginning of establishing this podcast is trying to foster and be a part of the movement towards that transition from just seeing, exercising, and um, experiencing the symbol to seeing, exercise, and experiencing what the symbol is pointing to. And I see us as trying to be part of that 
transition. And I see it in the church as well. That there, there's only there's only so much that the church can do in terms of inculcating practice, especially esoteric practice, because it is so private. It is. And so I totally understand that, you know, you, you're not going to sit in a Sunday school class while a quasi yoga instructor walks you through, a, a, you know, some kind of meditation lesson that maybe there's a place for that. It, it just doesn't seem like it fits in a Sunday school class or in a priesthood class or, you know, it, well, let me, <laughs> well, obviously it doesn't let me go it. into that there. a minute. Let me go into that a minute, Riley, because this is that place. Is it okay to be in this space? Yeah, sure. Of course it is. Why not? This isn't gospel doctrine class. Uh, this isn't, uh, by the way, this isn't meat either, right? This isn't the milk of the gospel doctrine class of the church that is rapidly internationalizing. Our church is rapidly internationalizing of, of a church that always has new members where we have this milk versus meat problem. And the church is there again to give us the milk. And, and some might think, you know, the meat is coming to the church as a whole eventually, and that may be, but you don't have to wait for that as an individual. That's not, the idea of the church is to provide that, that milk to prepare you to cut your teeth on the meat yourself. And, and I'd like to mention too, that as, as if, if you're a parent, then not only are you working this out, not only are you learning to taste, not only are you cutting your meat, uh, teeth on, on the meat at home, but you're also leading your family, right? If you're, parent, if you're a parent, you're leading your children in the same way because this is not happening at church and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not supposed to happen at church. That's not what church is for. That's what the home is for. Again, family-centered, right? That's what the family and the home, I'm using the home and the family as synonymous here. That's what the family is for. This is family-centered, church-supported. The church is scaffolding for the family, as Brother Covey put it. So if, if someone's looking for that transition point, where do they find it in between the two? In between what, sorry? In between the exoteric practice and the esoteric practice, the outer and the inner. Like how do they find that transition point? Because I think, again, people are looking at this like a spectrum of progression where you go from milk to meat or you go from, if you want to compare the two, you go from exoteric to esoteric. Yeah, so let me go back to what I was saying, right? This is not the, the, the gospel doctrine class. The whole of what the church does is about giving us milk. I'm not saying that we're here to give you meat. And how do you get from from, from the milk to the meat is the question. And all we're trying to do in our own experience of trying to answer that question for ourselves is to share with you, the listener, that experience. And why would you be here listening? I think that I think that question answers your question, Riley. The listener is here because something has been awakened in him or her. They're they're in, we're all of us are in some sense ready for some meat, right? This, this is another concept that, that I got from another book from Stephen Covey. And that's his first book. What is it called? The Spiritual Roots of Human Relations. In that book, Stephen Covey points out that 
we're all in different days of creation in different areas of our lives. Rather, there's areas in which you're stronger than I am in terms of your spiritual practice, in terms of your spiritual progression. You're further along that covenant path. Well, okay, covenant, we could be in the same place in terms of the covenant path. Maybe we've both received the crowning ordinances of the gospel, but we still have to endure it to the end. And maybe you're a little closer to the end than I am. Or maybe it's literally we're in different places. Uh, I've been baptized, but you've been to the temple. But maybe it's just, it's really what I think what Covey's dealing with is actually, there's just things that are that come easier for me, like paying tithing, for example. In my, in my own uh, practice, and in my, and especially, in, in, and I think in, in the practice of my, it, for me, it's a household thing. Paying tithing is something that we do as a, as a family, so as a husband and wife. So for us, for my wife and I, that's just a non-issue. It's just automatic. It's easy. We don't struggle with that. We have other areas in which we struggle where you might struggle with tithing and be stronger in another area. So we're on different days in terms of the seven days of creation, as, as Covey puts it. And so there has to be a place where we can turn and, and, and get and have a community. Again, the church is about community, right? That, to have a community of saints where we can work together and support each other on whatever day we're on or on a day where, where we're not on that day and we want to get to that day. And again, as I think we said last time, on my first episode with you on the podcast with, with Shiloh last week, Riley, we're not your gurus. That's not what I'm saying. But we are here learning because we felt called above and beyond what what we what we were getting. I mean, look, I'll be frank. I, I felt like I'm just not getting from church what I need. And others may feel the same way. And I mentioned well, that to my mother-in-law. Well, a lot of people will say, though, like if you're not getting what you need, you got to put more into it. It's you right. Know, rather Lean than focus on it. what you're getting out of it, you you put more into it, and then all of a sudden yes. it becomes this amazing experience. But right. that's you know, in, in the spirit of frankness, along with what you're saying, when you when you as an an adult, someone who's been through this for a long time and has learned the ins and outs of doctrines and practices, there are plenty of people who are not getting their meat anymore right and so it's like well why do i need this right why do i need uh, more milk and so i fortunately for me in turning to my mother-in-law who's also one of my dearest friends right one of my closest friends i didn't get the answer that you say that people give right i wasn't told to lean into it i was given the answer this is not what the church is for that's something that as you that as I think she knows I've already intuited that is something that you have to work out on your own. Where where I was maybe lacking in understanding where she really helped me to to be it's just, it's just to to give to make it okay, right? To say, oh, so the seeking that I'm doing here, live on air with you, Riley, and and with uh, with 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 my listener, is okay. And this is the right place, and it's the right time, and it's the right space, and it's the right attitude. And and it's okay to do it, and it's okay to share. And that's a, that's a beautiful experience. It's a beautiful experience. I'm, I'm so grateful to be in this space where, again, I'm not a guru. I'm not perfect. I'm practicing. 
my wife reminds me to practice what I preach. And I think, well, I am practicing. I'm not perfect, right? I'm not good at it, but I am practicing. So I'm here to practice contemplation. Well, one of the blessings of the of pretty much the weirdest year any of us have experienced is that our practice religiously, spiritually has been opened up to alternative forms. And that's not to replace or in exclusion of, but putting another arrow in the quiver, so to speak, of when we go out on that hunt uh, spiritually, we're, we're trying to figure out how, it, like you said, this is not wrong what we're doing. Right. If I thought it was at church and I can't go to church, now what? And this year has opened up answers to that question. Right. So for me personally, it's been a huge growth year. And I mentioned that to you earlier. And I think one of the reasons why is because I've incorporated other aspects into my spiritual practice that have augmented and improved where I was a year ago. And so if it took a, you know, a, a social upheaval to make that happen. Um, what a blessing. It, it has been. It has, it been. has been. You know, I, I'm excited too. And, and for me, I've been getting a lot out of, of course, as, a, as an Islamicist, I'm already studying another religion as a scholar. I've gotten so much out of that. Whenever you take a comparative religious approach, you just come to understand better what religion is in and of itself and what it what it's supposed to do and what it can do for you. And, and it, it's done so much for me. Well, I mean religion, but also taking that comparative approach has done so much for me, and that was really my point. Um, and now I've, I've expanded that. I may be an Islamicist, but, uh, you know, as a scholar, but personally, I'm studying Buddhism. I'm studying Hinduism, and I'm learning so much. Uh, I'm also a, a hyper-polyglot, so I, I know more than six languages, uh, more than seven languages. I think that makes me a hyperpolyglot. At any rate, I'm a polyglot. And and just being bilingual, by the way, is enough to, re- to realize the same thing by analogy, right? If I don't know more than one language, then when I'm asked what language is, well, it's my language. What, what, what else can I say? That's all I know. I, I only know my own religion. I only know my own language. But if I learn about another religion... And if I learn about another language, then I come to understand, to better understand what religion is in and of itself and what language is in and of itself by analogy. And so that's been tremendously beneficial to me. It really has. And, and of course, we have in our scriptures, next year we'll be studying the Doctrine and Covenants and Come Follow Me. That's our course of study. And we have some of my favorite scriptures that deal with seeking out of the best books right? Learning by study and also by faith and really taking in all of the, and and of course, if you go back to, we'll we'll be studying church history too, right? If you go back and you look at the prophet Joseph Smith, he really was open to, there there was an ecumenism, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I value. I get so much out of it. Same with friends, right? Friendships, you know, having friendships with people of other faiths. Not just studying this from books, not just, you know, uh, reading books by Richard Rohr or Alan Watts or Thich Nhat Hanh but, but, or John Keats, right? But to actually have my, my Baptist neighbors uh, as friends that I enter into conversation with and even go to their uh, church activities and my kids go to their youth activities. Well, that's fantastic. And I think if, if anything, we hope that in this episode, what we've 
kind of implicitly given people permission to do is to explore outside of just the exoteric and incorporate that into their spiritual practice and to enhance it by doing so. Um, there's a lot of things that I've incorporated into my practice in the last year in terms of esoteric work that I hadn't hadn't ever spent any time with and they've they've really enhanced a lot my my understanding of who I am in relation to God and that primary identity and without those things I, I think I can relate at that point more to people who just get kind of bored with it and that's not a real comfortable thing to say, but when you kind of just go through the motions doing the same check marks, it it just kind of gets bored. Well, that is boring if that's boring, all you're yeah. doing, right? If you're just going through the practices, you know, I'm going to the, you and I both read this year a book by uh, Mir Celiata, right? Um, the Myth of the Eternal Return. I recommended it to you. That's that's one of the best reads. I've read a couple hundred books this year, and that's one of the best reads I've, you know, made in a long time. And it really altered my experience of, of what temple worship means. Yeah, Eliade um, being a, well, the first professor of comparative religion in the United States, right? Wasn't he the first? I believe so. He's. I believe he's, he was he's the certainly, first in that title. Yeah, he's certainly a, a, a pioneer and a. A foundational thinker, right? Um, you know, and, coming and, to kind of like an, a, a global understanding or a macro understanding of what religion is all about, right? And what what's hard, hardwired within us in terms of our understanding of these various symbols, stories, myths, narratives, right? But if I go, you know, what I got from from that book, from the myth of the eternal return, in terms of what traditional societies were doing when they went to the temple. You know, talk about if you want to talk about boring, if I just go to the temple and I think, oh, I'm going to the temple to learn. Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to have the same experience that I had last time. What am I learning? I've already learned this. I've already been. And, you know, especially if you're clever, I'm, I'm pretty clever. It's like, OK, I got this right. Well, if, if you think you're there to learn X, Y, Z facts. Yeah. And now going back is boring. But what if you're there to actually participate in what the symbol points to, to have an experience. Yeah, in terms of the temple, even the LDS temple, it's the creation. Yeah, so you're there to not to learn about the creation, but to actually recreate the world, as it were, to to bring yourself out of out of uh, chaos back into cosmos, right? Out from uh, from chaos into order. That's huge. That's so important. Talk about centering prayer. Talk about recentering. Go to the temple, and and again, I was going to say I'll go ahead and say and learn your place in the cosmos. But I don't mean learning as in oh I'm here to learn something I didn't know this, but to be I guess to be reminded right to to actually put yourself back in that place. Hugh Nibley said the temple is a place to get your bearings on the universe. Exactly. That's what we're talking bearings. about. By the yeah. way, uh, Hugh Nibley frequently quoted Eliada in his work. Right. No, that's a great example of, of, of a, a learning that we've incorporated, <clears throat> a teaching that we've incorporated into our understanding of spiritual practice, of the exoteric, is the participatory experiential. Right. 
And by the way, Riley, ordinances. not only does that give me something to look forward to and being able to return to the temple, but if I, but if, if I feel a lack, right, that I can't go to the temple, I can still, I can, I can ponder on my past experiences of going to the temple and I can actually make more meaning out of them than I made out of them when I was there from home. Do you see what I mean? Sure. I can actually go back in my mind to all the times that I didn't know, that I didn't really understand what I was there to do. And I can ponder on those experiences and I can bring that meaning to them. And I can have maybe not the, you know, I I don't have the experience of being at the temple, but I have the experience of why be at the temple. And, and again, the exoteric would be going to the temple and doing it, having the, having the experience. But I could go to the temple and not have the experience, and I can be home and have the experience. Which doesn't mean I won't be going back to the temple. But while I can't, that doesn't stop me from having the experience. Although I am alone, and that's another reason why, again, the church is so important, because I would normally be doing that in fellowship with other saints. Right, yeah. Here I can do it privately, personally. Yeah, officiator, spouse, other right, uh, other other that. patrons, right? Yeah, and that's important too. But yeah. do you see? But again, there's the esoteric and the there's the exoteric, mm-hmm. and both are important. And if I can't experience the one now, I can experience the other, and that's that's important too. Well, I think that's probably a good place to uh, end it. I think that for me, anyway, the end of this episode is pointing us towards a discussion that I want to have at some point. All right. Maybe it's a little bit off the rails, but I'd love to just introduce the ideas of alchemy, which is the enmeshed combined practice of the material and the spiritual, the exoteric and the esoteric in in a single practice. I think that'd be fun. Let's just take a, a minute to go into this just a little bit, because most people hear alchemy and they think, Wait, what are you talking about? Alchemy, right? This is uh, this is um, a lack of understanding of what we now think of as chemistry. These are people who think they're doing chemistry, who are doing something nonsensical. They think they can turn lead into gold or base metals into gold, but that's not what the alchemists were up to. The alchemists knew what they were doing, and what they were doing, the the what they did with with metals was exoteric. It's the esoteric that's the reason why they're doing what they're doing, and that was to purify the soul. And that's what we're here to talk about, so that's a great idea. Well, and with with finishing the discussion with Eliade as well, he was one that that frequently talked in all these different cultures that he studied about the exoteric practices that were only pointing to the esoteric. It's really everything we've talked about that this episode has been alchemy. Right. But we just didn't say the word. So at some point, it'd be fun to kind of be a little more uh, specific and uh, explicit, explicit right? yeah. yeah, about what we're really talking about. There's the implicit and the explicit, the esoteric yeah. and the exoteric, right. And and by the way, this is a universal phenomenon, too. There's there's Chinese alchemy. There's, you know, Hindu. Indian alchemy. Hindu Indian alchemy. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah, African. Yeah, that's right. I look forward okay, to it, right? great. 
that'll be fun. So, um, Chris, thanks for jumping on with me, and it's been a, it's been a blast. This has been the tenth episode of Latter Day Contemplation. We thank all of you for joining us, and we would encourage you if you have ideas for the show, feedback, suggestions, or just want to drop us a note. We would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Latter Day Peace Studies page on Facebook. You can look us up individually and hit us up on Messenger or wherever you might be listening to this. Um, leave a comment, and we will be sure to incorporate that into future episodes. For Latter-day Contemplation, I'm Riley Risto. And I'm Christopher Hurtado. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you.